Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, where we talk about great music with the people who make it and the people who love it. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and this is episode number 94. For this episode, I spoke with Todd Kearns, a bassist and vocalist who is perhaps best known for being a member of Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. Todd, along with guitarist Steph Burns and drummer Will Hunt, is part of a new hard rock power trio called Heroes and Monsters. Their self-titled debut comes out February 20th, and I can't wait to bring you my interview with Todd about it. We also talked about our shared love of Kiss, and I got to meet Strawberry, one of his rescue cats. Before we get to that discussion, I want to invite you to visit michaelsrecordcollection.com, where you can find links to everything, including how to sign up for my free newsletter and all my social media accounts, at Mike's Records on Twitter and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. There's also a link to my Patreon, where you can discover the perks that my subscribers get starting as low as just $2 per month. And the more you support the show, the more perks you get. You can write to me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com, ask a question, give me some feedback, or just say hello. I do want to mention that we were a little pressed for time on this interview. We only had about 25 minutes, so I didn't get to get as in-depth track by track as I would have liked to, but Todd was great. I enjoyed meeting his cat. We had a fun discussion about Kiss before we really got into this album, and I think you're going to like the record, so check it out. Now that that's out of the way, let's get to my interview with Todd Kearns about Heroes and Monsters. Here we go. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I am joined today by, uh, you may know him from his work with Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. You may know him from Age of Electric, Sin City Sinners, or Took. I am joined by Todd Kearns today. Todd, thank you uh, for your time. Thank you for having me. So you are a part of this new trio called Heroes and Monsters. You have a self-titled debut album dropping January 20th on Frontiers Music. I am very much looking forward to talking about this record with you, but I want to start the way I always start these things out by asking you, what was your first favorite record? Oh, gosh. I would have to... Uh, my, my my immediate go-to is Kiss Alive 1, um, though it's probably... Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> though it's probably something more like the Bay City Rollers, if I actually really did, like, was being honest about, he's just coming up here knocking every guitar pick off the, off the plate. Thank you so much. Um, uh, but the Kiss Alive 1 was definitely the first one that we were, my brother and I are, you know, he's a couple years younger than me, so we both got into rock and roll around the same time, and it just kind of was this, we we talk about it all the time, we, we bought, like, a Kiss record every weekend, compiling our, you know, our, uh, allowances and just buying a record every weekend and then just sort of bought every kiss record that was available to in real time and then uh, moving on. But yeah, that was sort of the first one it was a good one to start with because it's live and the crowd and the mm -hmm. drum solos and the pyro and the whole thing was sort of quite addictive. Yeah, I can, uh, I can definitely confirm that because that was actually my first favorite record as well. So yeah, that's great. First great mind ever asked my parents for i had uh <laughs> i had i had seen kiss on a on a paul lynn halloween special oh sure yeah. and uh and then i kind of forgot about him a little bit because you're a kid you don't you know, mm -hmm. out of sight out of mind and then my friend had kiss alive and 
I was like, oh, I, I need to have this now. So yeah, hundred percent obsessed yeah. with that record. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, it had everything. It had all the excitement. It had the the, the siren and you, and, and you had the drum solo and all of that stuff. So it was, it was a good starter album, I think uh, for any rock fan. Absolutely. I think it stands up to this day, frankly. Yeah, I bet you do because you are you've been playing with Bruce Kulick's band on the Kiss Cruises yeah. and and doing some Kiss covers. What is it about their music that still fascinates you to this day? Um, you know, it is funny because I have this conversation. You know, you always, no matter what, you come across the naysayers who are like, "Aren't they just an image?" And you go, "Well, it's obviously a big part of it." I mean, the, the, a lot of the if they got you at that right age, they had you for life because, you know, and a lot of what got you was they were superheroes or whatever you want to call it. It was something else, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> what a monster. Now, who yeah, is sure, this guy? Can... Who, who, who this is, is this? This is strawberry. He's out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> we, we rescued three cats this during COVID and, and, uh, this is the newest acquisition. He's, he's fun. Um, but the, uh, but I, I, I've always argued that the music to me is, 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 is the most, is the biggest part to me. I think, you know, we, we didn't, it would be one thing if it was just the image. There are quite a few probably examples of bands that were looked great. And to me just didn't have music. And I always just felt like, like, you know, kiss alive one to me is the best thing about kiss Alive one is it's a compilation of the first three kiss albums Mm -hmm. in one sort of, um, one record. It sounds louder and heavier and crowd noise and all that kind of stuff. So it makes it uh, even more um, and more intense. And then you get into what we do with Bruce, which is more focused on the 80s stuff. The, the non-makeup stuff is a totally different animal entirely. You know, the songwriting became so much more, you know, Desmond Child and Holly Knight and all these, you know, sort of writing songs that are meant to be on the radio or meant to be sort of competing with whatever was going on with Hart and and Ponchovi and everything else. Jeepers creepers. He just kind of comes out of nowhere <laughs> know, right at the camera. It's like it's he's almost like, like watching a monster movie. It's <laughs> like Batman or something. <laughs> but uh yeah, no, so to me it's like the music is is yeah, I'm a fan. If you if I I there's kiss stuff all over the place, but it's uh you know, uh, but uh but to me it's the music. If they didn't have the music, I I probably would have lost interest after a few minutes, you know. Yeah, I agree. And I think if you go back to those early Kiss albums, you it's hard as an adult to um to defend them lyrically, but the guitar solo oh, sure. and the rhythms and the and the melodies all still stand up. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the the goofy lyrics, but you know, it's sort of, you know, there's a and you know, there's a whole bunch of goofy lyrics in rock and roll. It's just sort of the nature of 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 what it is, but yeah. you know, when we're kids, we're not really supposed to understand the double entendres which in a lot of ways to me are, are, are calling them double entendres is pretty generous, actually. Just straight up like love gun. You're like, I mean, as a kid, you don't, yeah, it's a, you know, I know exactly what he's talking about. It's like, no, we had no <laughs> idea what he's talking about. And then, uh, you know, it sort of creeps up on you later on, but you know, by then, you know, spinal tap or somebody like that would have pointed out how, how the silliness of basically every kind of rock and roll lyric you'd ever heard, you know, yeah, for sure. So forgive me if you've answered this question a million times, but I haven't heard the story and, and maybe my listeners haven't. Where did the Todd Dammit Kearns start? <laughs> Todd Dammit is one of those punk rock things that, you know, Johnny Rotten or Sid Vicious. There was a whole period of 
you know, where you took your name and you stuck something on it and Todd damn it rhymes with God damn it. So it just sort of became one of those things that sort of was fun to say and well, fun for my friends to say, <laughs> I never really thought of it. And then, um, you know, it was just a sort of something that hung around. And then, um, when I came to Vegas, it was such an interesting sort of reboot for my career because I'd had a whole career in Canada and then came down to the States and it was sort of like, no one was aware of anything that I'd done, which is, I almost recommend that for people, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you can get pretty comfortable on what you've accomplished. Um, if you take that all away, it's sort of, uh, changes the game but it was vinnie paul who was really the one that sort of you know we i would call myself todd dammit on stage because no one cared who todd kearns was it was just kind of you know for fun mm -hmm. and then vinnie paul i don't think he really knew what my real name was i think he just called me todd dammit would scream it across you know casinos and stuff and oh vinnie's here so yeah that's when and then it, you know eventually it was a, there was a friend gave me a t-shirt and then that became you know grew into being its own enterprise you know so <laughs> It really is a funny thing that I actually Slash is probably the one that really cemented it because he just started, you know, introducing me as that all, all the way around. Yeah. I, no one, I don't remember ever saying to him, this is my name, call me this. It just sort of like was one of those things that he just kind of started saying. And then the next thing I knew, everybody was calling him. Uh, just put a bow on the on the Kiss Cruise thing. How did you originally get involved with Bruce uh, Kulik and 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 his brother? And then, um, well, Brent, it's uh, the drummer for Slash's band. He had played in Union, which was the post Kiss band that Bruce had with John Karabi. Okay. So in two in two thousand ten, Bruce was releasing his BK three solo record, and he said. Um, he wanted to do a CD release party at the Cat Club that's right next to the Whiskey A Go Go. It's not there anymore. A lot of my a lot of my gig stories are about venues that aren't there anymore. But he, uh, we just did a, a CD release party, and and I went up and it was a similar thing. I sang the Paul Stanley songs, and we had a a friend of ours, Adam, who plays in uh, Candlebox now, was playing bass, and he sang the Jeans a couple Jeans songs, and and um, Nick Simmons got up and sang. I think that was the, I think he was the only guest. And, you know, that was in 2010. And then a million years later, 2017, I guess it was, um, Bob and Bruce uh, and myself and Brent went and did the, did the cruise. And it was, uh, you know, it, it, to us, it was just kind of like, yeah, it sounds like fun. We didn't mm -hmm. expect it to quite have the impact that it did. It was, it was incredibly well received. I mean, you have to keep in mind as KISS fans that you're not always going to hear 
you know, tomorrow from Paul Stanley's solo album and, you know, uh, and a ton of songs. I mean, we've dug so deep that I, what I realized is you really can't dig deep enough. There's no such thing when it comes to the, the Kiss Cruise is, you know, is the the high council of Kissdom. You know, it's like <laughs> everybody there is a fan. They they don't need to hear Shout It Out Loud in Detroit Rock City and Rock and Roll All Night. They, they love hearing, you know, we, we busted out King of Hearts from Hot in the Shade and people were like, stoked like over the moon about it so to me it's kind of one of those things where you you really can do no wrong and getting to be able to do it with bob was was really special we we did that and we did one kiss convention type thing in indianapolis and and then we lost them unfortunately but uh but he was uh you know it was really great to get to do those songs with him you know nowhere to run from uh kiss killers and uh you know, all American man and larger than life, all those things that he played the solos on. It was really cool yeah. as a fan. I mean, you know. yeah, I get it. You're, you're never going to hear the band, uh, especially now in the end of the road tour, you're never going to hear those songs being played by, by them. And, and that's like an ongoing thing. My, my friends, um, Tom and Zeus from the shout it out loud cast are very, mm-hmm. uh, very adamant that, you know, you never get anything new with the, with the kiss guys now. So, uh, that's why they always feel like you guys are the sort of the, the highlight for them of the kiss cruise experience. Well, I appreciate that. They're, they're really kind to us that way. I mean, like I said, we didn't really kind of, you know, let's orchestrate this thing. That's going to completely, you know, take everybody's attention away. It's a, that's not, not really the case at all. Mm-hmm. I think we just kind of focused on a, you know, on a particular era because of what Bruce's particular chapter is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you realize in doing so how much love there is for that, for that, you know, I mean, and we all were, I mean, I was, I was of the age, you know, it feels like by the time I was able to finally see kiss in, in reality, the first time I saw kiss live was with Bruce. So, you know, by the time I was able to finally be concert going age, mm-hmm. they no longer had makeup on, they were a different band. So all that whole chapter is a big part of my my youth too. Animalize that whole you know Animalize Live that uncensored thing on MTV was a was a big thing you know yeah. So and a lot of my friends Chris Jericho Eddie Trunk all these guys are just they came up in the Lick It Up you know Animalize Asylum that was sort of their kiss in a way we were all aware of I was actually kind of different because we were like you know eight seven nine years old by you know getting into Kiss. Um, but like I say, by the time we were able to kind of follow kiss, they were a different band. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's, it's interesting. I, as I know a lot of people that kind of grew up in that and that's the kiss that they grew up with. And I, I grew up with rock and roll over and destroyer and love gun. And yeah. Those kinds of, things. yeah and, of course. Yeah. And yeah. I never got to see them until the 96 reunion tour. So they wow, had already changed. They changed and then changed back before Change I got back <laughs> from yeah. the original members to new guys to original members. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a great uh, run though. The 96 run was amazing. Yeah. There, I saw that too. Yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic. I didn't mean this to devolve into a kiss conversation, but um, <laughs> it always does. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so funny. My wife will come in sometimes. Are you guys talking about kiss? And yes. Just for me and <laughs> whoever I'm with. Yeah.
who influences you as a bassist and as a vocalist? You know, I was just thinking about this today because I've been going over these these Heroes and Monsters songs as a bass player. And it's sort of like, you know, guys like Lemmy had a major impact on me. Tom Peterson from Cheap Trick. Guys like that. It's sort of like I never, I grew up in sort of like rock and punk rock. I never was into, I, I'm, a, I'm a great appreciator of the Getty Lee, you know, school and Chris Squire and, and, and those kind of guys. I have nothing but love. But as a kid, I was sort of always sort of intimidated and a little bit kind of turned off by, you know, the guys that, you know, who were way more accomplished than we were as young, snotty nosed kids. We just wanted to play. So we were out in the garage making racket together. Those kids who could play, you know, were playing Pat Metheny and Jeff Beck songs. They didn't want anything to do with us. So we just kind of went, okay, well, we're just going to do what we do. And so my, my playing is, you know, has always sort of stemmed from, you know, from that school, the punk rock, the, the DD Ramon has as DD Ramon has as much of an impression on my playing as, as anybody else. That said, the John Paul Jones and, 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 and John Antwistle and those guys, you know, they have a major part of it too. Lemmy, oddly enough, is a very big one, you know, when it comes to chords and stuff like that. There's a few others, of course, I'll think of them all as, as I go along, uh, or uh, as soon as I hang up, I'll be like, I forgot so-and-so, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 one of those cool instruments to me that that I think that you know Sting oddly enough had a big impact on me as a kid. I was a, you know I was sort of you know sort of half forced into being a singer when you're a kid. You just want to be in the band, and then people realize, oh, he can carry a tune, make him sing all this stuff, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, yeah, that's it's a lot more responsibility having to sing and talk to the audience and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know, I sort of fell into having a sort of natural kind of hang on that. As far as singers go, I mean, there's obviously like the you know the Paul Stanley would be a big one. Um, Freddie Mercury, guys like that. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, again, it's that, that thing of like, I, I know I, I grew up, I wanted to be, you know, I was going to, I'm going to be Joe Strummer or something like that. But as soon as they kind of needle you and go, hey, let's try all right now, you know, you know, okay. And you would just sing it, you know, and they go, oh, okay, well now let's try a whole lot of love, you know, and they'd poke you and you, okay. And you would just... <laughs> you know, you would, you would find you, you could, you could do that. You know I mean? I found I could kind of squeak out those kind of higher notes and whatnot. And that sort of became uh, what I do. You know, it's sort of, I mm -hmm. think that there's still like rudimentarily uh, in, in the root of it all is sort of like more about attitude. And then on top of that, there comes a sort of thing about, I suppose the histrionics of singing high and being, you know, showboaty to some degree but uh, i mean freddie was the king of that i mean when, when we all love freddie he's, the, he's yeah. the man you uh did now do you come from a musical family how did you get involved in music originally um well my dad played guitar a bit you know he was kind of like the uh couple of drinks and a campfire you know he loved outlaw country and my mom played a little piano um but they weren't super musical when it comes to like you know they weren't like you know, this is the Beatles and that's Ringo and Paul. And you know, they were kind of like, you know, they liked music, but it wasn't sort of like, here's every Beatles record or every Stones record. It was just kind of like a hodgepodge of, of just music in the house, you know, mm -hmm. but they were definitely both had an inclination to music. You know what I mean? So I had, my dad had this big hollow body F hold harmony guitar. And I would walk around the house pretending I was Elvis when I was smaller than the guitar my dad finally just got annoyed enough to go oh, this is a c chord that's a d chord that's you know i like just kind of showed me a few chords and and then that was sort of off off to the races after that yeah 
did you take any formal training or was it just all kind of picked up as you went from like your dad and, and yeah not really i mean i, I remember taking guitar lessons I mean, everybody's stories about guitar lessons are the same it's kind of like you know you want to play you know whatever you know you want to play my generation or something like that but the kid somebody wants to show you michael row the boat ashore or something you know and you're so you get kind of like i think that kind of stuff can actually kind of the fact that they had like school of rock type things you know and these rock school things where kids can go and play zeppelin songs and deep purple songs or you know you're kind of like well where was that when i was a kid you know it was like mm -hmm that that's that was happening in our garage or basement somewhere you know and uh so no i i never really took I, even as a vocalist it's sort of like i call it street fighting you know <laughs> i go i have no training as far as like you know how to defend myself it's all learned on the streets you know as a vocalist it's like it's just all learned in every crappy club not being able to hear yourself from you know all around north america and then um, you just find that as time goes by, you have developed something along the way. Let's flash forward to Heroes and Monsters. This is yourself on lead vocals and bass, uh, Steph Burns on guitar, and Will Hunt on drums. How did this particular trio of musicians come together? Was this something that Frontiers arranged, or did this happen organically? Yeah, pretty organically, actually. Will reached out. I, I've known Will a, a long time, and he's, um, you know, I'm a great admirer of him. He's a monster player. And a monster talent, actually. He's, you know, he's like one of those guys. It's funny about drummers because you always kind of go, great drummer. You know, it's all you know is he's a great drummer. But he 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 mixed a lot of the recordings. He he uh, co-wrote and brought in songs uh, and stuff. And I was like, wow, this guy's a majorly talented guy. I mean, the, the big clincher of it is 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 a lot of it came up during COVID. You know, all of us were on lockdown. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like, you know because people always make fun of how many projects I have going on, but it's sort of, but it is sort of like, you know, heroes of monsters now, what the hell? But I'm kind of like, you know, sitting around literally in this room, you know, sending me, sending me tracks. And then, you know, I just started like wrote lyrics. The first thing we ever, we did together was locked and loaded.
and bounced it back and that went well and tried another one and well, you know some of it was kind of like hit and miss because that's the nature of you know trying this and trying that out they had a couple of songs that they'd already kind of worked up in one fashion or another like uh raw power was something that that will had already worked up from his dark new days um but i was like that song is so great we have to record that song and um you know it just sort of came together and it was like really no plan and i think that you know then it became like i think steph uh being in italy it became an easy sort of like frontiers you know and let's just let's just do that frontiers does have a have a talent for arranging like these sort of like you know these cherry picked teams to put together and yeah and uh you know, Black Swan and all these different uh, Burning Rain, all these different versions of, of guys from different things that play together. And then, um, but we literally just sort of were doing this and then it just sort of fell there. And, uh, you know, and like today I was just so, sort of, like I said, I've been going through the music and it's been like, you don't know, you're too close to it. I think that there's been enough time now to kind of sit down and go through the music and go, wow, some of this really turned out great. Like I'm really excited about playing it live. Yeah, they, these were names that, I mean, I wasn't, I had heard them. I had heard their music. I'd heard their work, work, but I wasn't aware of them. If you would have told me their names was Steph, uh, having played with Y&T and Alice Cooper and Berlin and Sheila E. And and, and most Lewis, importantly, Huey Lewis, and Huey Lewis in yeah. the news. Now <laughs> yeah. I'm listening. So I'm listening to heroes and monsters and I'm, I'm listening to raw power. And I hear that guitar solo and I'm like, this is the guy from Huey Lewis and the News? <laughs> yeah, I know. This, yeah. These don't match. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. It's more uh, news than Huey. That's for sure. Yeah. He's the, no, he's a monster talent. He's a monster. Talent. Like, I didn't even, the funny thing is I never met uh, Steph until we made the Raw Power video in person. That's how, how fascinating it was to, <laughs> to create music with somebody and he's in Italy and I'm in Vegas and this whole process is happening and talking on a regular basis, like you and I are. And then like, then you kind of like, yeah, I've never physically met this guy until we're standing, you know, you know, get together and like, let's make a video. And then, uh, but that's kind of the beauty of music is it's sort of common language that sort of brings us all together. But, and that respect of each other, like when you go, that guy's a monster talent and and that guy's, you know, uh, I mean, like I said, will is so much more than just, you know, a drummer. And I, that seems like such a shitty thing to say about somebody. He's just a drummer, but it's like, you know, but it is one of those things where you just like uh, a, an amazing drummer is an amazing drummer, period. It's a, and it's an amazing thing to have. But mm -hmm. I think like most people, it's like you never know until you start working with somebody how much more they have to offer. You know. So tell me about the songwriting process for this. Were these worked on collaboratively? Did you each like start with an idea and then bounce it off other people or how did it work? It was kind of all over the map. There was a, a, a few things that, you know, were just kind of nuggets of ideas that I sort of fleshed out into, you know, into like, like locked and loaded and a few things that, I mean, they, they largely had the music and I just sort of 
worked on some things. Then I like stuff like raw power um, was something that Will had worked on, had from before. And then a few um, Angel Remain and a couple other songs were things that, you know, uh, had been written. And, and there was def- a few of them along the way that, you know, I had kind of like added my two cents to and they'd added their two cents to and that kind of thing, too. So it was very collaborative. And it's hard to get too, um, you know, when you get kind of like too uptight about your little ideas especially when you're sort of like that, those are what solo albums are for. Then you can be uptight about your ideas all day long. Hmm. Uh, but when it's sort of a collaboration, you really have to be a lot more collaborative. And I think that, you know, I've been pretty fortunate that in that, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of the best things that I've ever been a part of are things that are, you know, you're throwing the ball back and forth as opposed to just sort of throwing the ball in the air and catching it yourself. So I think, uh, that seems to be the way this all kind of came together. So when you start a band like this and you're, you're getting ready to write, or maybe you've already got some ideas written down. Is there a, is there a starting point where you think you're, there's a sound you're going for, or is just the writing dictate the sound that you end up with? I think it's a bit of both, but I think, uh, cause like along the way we abandon a few things here and there, because I think the record is fairly diverse. If you ask me, I think it's actually, it's got some give and go, you know, within 10 to 20% on either side. Um, but I think just as you're writing and you, like, like most records are written, you've written a few songs beyond what's going to end up on the record and you try and sort of trim it down to what feels like a good record or a good sound. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it is always one of those things where what is heroes and monsters sound like you don't know until you've kind of recorded a bunch of, or, or collected a bunch of songs and then decided like, you know, I guess we sound like this, you know, it could sound like, uh, a, the softest version of heroes and monsters or the hardest version of heroes and monsters. And then sort of like, it's usually somewhere down the middle. So you have 10 tracks that you ended up with. How many did you record for this album originally and, and pared down? Well, I don't know if recorded would be the word for it, but we definitely worked on a probably, I'd probably say somewhere around 15 that were sort of tossed around that just sort of never either didn't get finished because it was not, you know, cause often things, you know, sometimes in that process something else takes precedence and and you kind of find yourself over there and this gets kind of left behind that's how Mm -hmm. that's how sometimes songs end up like you know from different different bands like like the uh tattoo you record apparently is largely made up of like forgotten rolling stone not forgotten but older rolling stone songs that ended up being like um eventually becoming a record and becoming a very successful record by the way Mm -hmm. um but that happens all the time. You know, it's like, you know, songs that like, well, Kiss is a good example. There was a lot of Wicked Lester songs that started appearing <laughs> on on Kiss records later on when they were like cramming to write songs. Yeah. And and to that end, were there some of these bits that came from previous projects that that got dusted off and, and finished? For oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Will definitely brought in some things, some Dark New Days and a few other things. Uh, not so much for me. I, I'm always sort of like, I actually prefer... Um, the creative process being from project to project, that's kind of like, you know, I, I'm not the kind of guy who, well, I, when I say that, it's sort of like, I usually write for this particular project or that particular project or that particular, and there's things that are left behind in all those projects too. But I am sort of of the mind of, ah, if it was left behind there, it's probably, <laughs> you know, leave behindable, you know, mm-hmm. um, but they usually do find their way into something one way or another. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we, there was definitely a, the, those dark new days songs. Um, it's a song called I Knew You Were the Devil was also another Dark New Days song that I was like, these are great songs. I think we have to record them. 
And as a singer, it was just like, these were a pleasure to sing. All right, so I wanted to talk a little bit about some of these songs, but before I, I, I do, I just want to quickly a- ask you, are all the voices on the record you, or did the other guys kick in some backing voices? There's other guys on there, too, and there's actually an Italian guy that um, he sings backups on a couple of things, too, just because um, as Steph was um, mixing and stuff, they you know they were coming up with, what if we had this, or what if we had that, and it's sort of like... I'm sort of like, look, if you guys can, you know, make it happen there, there's no sense kind of like going through the entire process of, you know, because I'm off doing something else and whatever. And can you get to the studio? And it's like, just just put somebody else's voice on there. I I, I like the correlation of different voices, the Michael Anthony to David Lee Roth kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know, I mean, it's like, I love that kind of stuff. It was weird when they when David Lee Roth's solo album started happening. It was all Dave's voice. But, you know, so that to me that, that and, and Will and uh, Steph do pop up, but it's my lead vocal, basically. Yeah. You know, you have um, some like you mentioned, you have some variety on this record. You, you start off with some really in your face rock and roll, uh, locked and loaded raw power. And and one thing that really I I thought was interesting was the third song. Let's uh, let's ride it. The place is hot and the magic side. It always seems like a Friday natural fantastic bombastic oh no now let's just try to be logical i know i can sound too cynical when the panic finally gets in it sets in oh no she's keeping it it really feels like you're channeling some cheap trick there. Was that something that you had consciously in mind? I definitely cheap trick is definitely in the, uh, just sort of in here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, whenever we talk about that, there's a little bit of, uh, there's a lot of cheap trick, a little bit of sweet, you know, bands like that. Those are kind of like, that's kind of my jam actually. Like when I talk about punk rock or even rock, there's this sort of common ground between where it's like, cheap trick and mc5 and and that kind of stuff to me is and the suite and bands like that that it's sort of unquantifiable in a way like glitter rock and glam rock the 70s british glitter rock and all that is such a big part of what i love as well t-rex and all that kind of stuff so 
that kind of stuff is all in there. And Let's Ride It has definitely got all the elements of that for sure. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song on the record? Oh man, that would be really tough. I mean, I I kind of keep going back to um Locked and Loaded only because it was the first thing we sort of put together. But I don't know that it would be my favorite. I th- I think probably in some ways, you know, even though like my my creative uh input on things like Raw Power and Wish You Were the Devil or or I Knew You Were the Devil, um, those ones really are strong, great songs. And sometimes you're given the gift of singing something that's really um really pleasing and really kind of a, a gift to be able to sing and you'll remain is really strong here i am name a song i'll name the whole goddamn record <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well i like i like that it shows the diversity of the band you have the, the power comes through in the early tracks you've got that that more glam uh let's ride it you've got some softer songs like the acoustic guitar on and you'll remain And um, uh, Angels Never Sleep, which might be my favorite, uh, it might end up being my favorite. It's an early favorite, but uh, yeah, really- that's kind of a that was kind of a sleeper for me too because I wasn't sure what to make of it, and it really kind of grew into this big, um, little bit of an epic. Yeah. yeah. All right, I feel like I'm lost inside a valley. Oh, dressed up in red, white stripes. Hourglass that's glued under the moon. How many creatures, stars, and fools they've got lifelines, but maybe it'll come. So the album is called Heroes and Monsters. The band is called Heroes and Monsters. I know you have uh, a lot of these uh, to do today, Todd, but I want to I want to thank you. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with this record. I would love to have you come back on again and, and talk some more Kiss with me. And uh, Absolutely. I'm always up for that. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, Todd. Uh, best of luck with Heroes and Monsters, and, and thanks for your time today. Thank you, brother. Take, thank you so much. Have a great day. Happy New Year. Thanks. You too. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. 
Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.